the Tom Sumner Program. Old Fashioned Radio for a New Generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Not an easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm alright, Tom. How are you? Lucky day, Mr. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry. What's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program, old-fashioned radio for a new generation. This is Mayor Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody, to part two of Armchair Politics, our weekly roundtable on the Tom Sumner program. Joining me for today's edition of Armchair Politics, we have our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki on the left. Welcome back, Paul. Good to be here. And on the right... Uh, Longtime Genesee County Republican Henry Hatter. Henry, welcome back to you as well. Thank you, Tom. And uh, joining us um, at the roundtable this week is uh, author Gerald Everett Jones, uh, author of um, Preacher Raises the Dead, and he's he's been my uh, my go-to guy to cut off when we go to break. Uh, <laughs> I, deser- I deserved it. That I got all run up. <laughs> but thank you, Tom. Um, and and I I, I want to go ahead and move on because there are some other interesting things going on, and I, I'm going to skip over. Um, let's see. We'll pick it up with uh, <laughs> Michigan's race for governor. Uh, oh yes. <laughs> Perry Perry Johnson, James Craig, and Michael Markey Jr. have filed three separate lawsuits in two different courts in an attempt to get on the August 2nd primary ballot for Michigan Governor. Johnson filed Friday in the Michigan Court of Appeals, while Craig and Markey filed over the weekend. Craig in the uh, Michigan Court of Claims and Markey in the Court of Appeals Five Republican candidates for governor were left off the ballot by the Board of State canvassers on Thursday. Craig Johnson, Markey, Michael Brown, and Donna Brandenburg. The state alleges they submitted thousands of fraudulent signatures. Candidates for governor need at least 15,000 valid signatures to get on the ballot. Brown has uh, withdrawn from the race, and uh, Brandenburg has not filed a lawsuit yet uh, per a state spokesperson, although there are indications that she will. Um, and, and I'll just add that uh, my, uh, Michael Markey and uh, Mike Brown were both on the show last Thursday, but before the final decision was made. Now, now Brown was making good on uh, an appearance he was supposed to make last Wednesday um, when he dropped out of the race Tuesday night. 
but he shared his thoughts about what happened and how these uh, signatures got botched. Um, and um, Michael Markey was on, but he, there was no talk of a lawsuit yet because the final decision hadn't been made. Um, but he talked about the case that his campaign made for why they should look at the uh, signatures more individually. Um, do you think these candidates can convince a court to put them on the primary ballot? That ain't going to happen. Encourage uh, right not legislate. You know, and courts would be well advised to stay out of this one which I think they do. They already know that it's the legislature's responsibility to legislate law. You know, the only other possible option I'm thinking here, and I'm not even sure it's a good idea or not, would be to delay the primary. I think that happened in Ohio with some reapportionment stuff where they bumped it back before, because of delays there. But you're exactly right. I mean, the, the deadline is this Friday. They've got to get the ballots printed for to send them out to for the folks in the military they want to vote in the primary, and uh, I just don't see them. If, if they go back and try and recount every single signature line by line, I don't see it getting done by Friday, if, if, even if the court ordered that. I'm not sure they would. But uh, they, they may be in a box where there's no choice but to disqualify them, and that, it's kind of too bad because the two of them were, the, were front-running candidates. It really muddies up the primary an awful lot. You have to have yeah, a really compelling the, reason to delay an election of any kind. Um, yeah. But uh, uh, they you know, picked the wrong people to go out and get their signatories. That's absolutely. a serious thing. You know, you got to trust somebody to go out. you got to, like, send your wife or send your child, trust your child if you have one, and, um, and you got to send someone who have honor and trust to do that. We've forgotten. We think, pull our politics up for... Well, it's becoming more and more common for um, candidates to rely on professionals to do certain aspects of their campaign, like hiring people to do their signature collections. And according to uh, Captain Mike, Mike Brown, from the state police who dropped out of the race after this brouhaha um, said that um, after his signatures were all collected this same outfit went around and, and was collecting signatures for other candidates yeah. for government. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, they were paid, and, and I heard they were paid a surprise, as much as twenty dollars a signature. I mean, that just one story suggested that, and that uh, you know makes it awfully tempting to generate a lot of names well, sounds, sit around the table it, and pass these things around. To hear Mike Brown tell it, it sounds like the closer they got to the deadline, the, <laughs> the bigger the price per signature went. <laughs> I um, see. <laughs> And and then of course uh, corners started being cut in in uh, and and the people that that hired these uh, uh, petition gatherers really got taken 
Yeah. Yeah. I uh, guess I gather there were thir- 36 people who were kind of now, ter- interestingly, uh, listed as, as, as the, the, the main problems here. And so many of the signatures were, were nearly identical, or the same pen, the same kind of handwriting, and so forth. Interestingly, uh, but, but, you I, know, I, I, asked I cannot Mike imagine. Brown, I asked Mike Brown if he thought that the, the, the petition qualifications had gotten too complicated. You know, with fifteen thousand votes, and then um, and, and it was half of the uh, congressional districts. Right. You have to have a hundred votes each from half of the congressional districts. And I, I asked him if he thought it had gotten too complicated. He said, "No, we understood mm-hmm. it. <laughs> you know, we yeah, just, but he just we, <laughs> we just hired some bad people and." You know, that's yeah. it, but I'm, you know, he says, I'm just stepping away from it because this is not something I want to be associated with. He did the right thing. I admire him for doing that. Yeah, I do, you know, too, I, when very I, much. When I ran for the Board of Education in Kyle, I, I knew that people wanted to see their candidate. They wanted to test them. They wanted to uh, uh, hear from them. So I walked the doors. I would run over by cars, had dirt land. And my face <laughs> bit my dogs, <laughs> you know. But it was in the end, it was fun because the next time it wasn't that difficult. <laughs> and uh, but I enjoyed just making the. Uh, how, how many signatures did you need for the board of education, Henry? Do you recall? I said, um, I thought it was about two hundred fifty. Okay. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, admittedly, uh, fifteen thousand is a lot to get, I and mean, you get you have to have a, a crew of people to pull that off. But yeah, they hired it. <laughs> but uh, you know, the people were very loyal to me once they got to know me. Shoot, I, that's true. The first yeah. time I, I I lost the first time I ran, I I lost the front runner position. Somebody else beat me. But after that. For the next uh, seven terms, I was the highest vote getter in Clio. Oh, yeah. that's well well deserved, mm-hmm. Henry. Well yeah. deserved. Yeah. No, you went out well, with the people, and you sold them on your ideas. That was well deserved. Yes, and I enjoyed. I you know it's. I I can't imagine that a person running for governor would go out. And hire some. Well, they don't know people. They've been in these staff positions. Well, there were. They were. They've never hit, been on the grass. The, the thing the that, that I thought was interesting was that there were there were ten candidates that announced and uh, were on track to turn in petitions. And before this came up with the the canvassers. The Detroit Chamber of Commerce, which hosts the Mackinac Policy Conference, announced they were having a gubernatorial debate during the conference, but only invited five of the ten. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was an odd move. And then the next thing I notice is five are being dropped from the ballot. So the first thing I did was check and see if it was the same five. <laughs> and, and it wasn't. Oh, surprise! I don't know the logic. Yeah, yeah. 
either an odd coincidence or some strange logic going on there. Yeah. Well, the Detroit <clears throat> Chamber claims they did a poll, and, and I'm not sure who all they polled, but basically it boiled down to, you know, whoever the the top five, you know, most familiar names, whatever, and went with that. Yeah. Well, you know, the only argument that those who were trying to get back in the ballot might have is this, that apparently what happened, as I understand it, <clears throat> is they, they took a look at the petitions done by these 36 or so individuals, and if they took a look at the first couple of signatures on a, on, a, on a sheet and found them invalid, they voided the whole sheet, and the candidates would like people, like the uh, the board to go back and review every single name, all 15,000 or so. Now, whether that's even possible to, to do in time, I don't know, but they, they, their, their argument is that, well, you shouldn't have voided the whole sheet. Maybe there's one or two good ones on this sheet of... of phony signatures, which is, I guess, possible, but maybe unlikely. That, that may be the only argument they've got, and I'm not sure how far it's going to get them. Well, I would say that if, um, you, you know, if they can ask candidates to go out and get 15,000 signatures, the least they can do is count them. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, that takes a long time. The only I just tell you the truth. The only way that, that can be done is a computer system. If banks, banks, <coughs> the oldest institution in the world, if they can trust that process, so can the political system. So the, politically, we argue whether there was tampering with the votes and stuff like that. But you have backup systems to check that out. You have uh, inventories and you have... Um, you go out and you test results from all kinds of sources to test the ver- ver- veracity of your data. And banks use it, and it works well. Um, the real guideline is whatever test they're applying, they should be applying uniformly and objectively to all. And that's where, I mean, you made the point, Henry, about the legislature, but uh, that's where the the courts legitimately would be involved in um, in an action to determine whether uh, the process was yeah. applied fairly yeah. and consistently. Yeah, that, and, that and again, I could know, buy. this is the yeah. rule of law. I could buy in that. California, we have a proposition system which is even nut, more, more nutty and, <laughs> and makes professional canvassers. The order of the day is, you know, you go to the supermarket and the canvasser's got five different po- proposition questions. You know, they, they've got a clipboard and it's got a sheet for each one. So you know that it's not the ones that they believe in. It's just, yeah. you know, what they've been hard to do. <laughs> that happens here occasionally as well. That's true. Uh, <clears throat> well, the, the real problem is that is, my understanding is that uh, if they did it perfectly, they would have to check each signature against the same signature in the voter, the official voter file line by line, all 15,000 of them. And that, you know, that's the way ideally it ought to be done, but whether that's, it's even possible in the next three days is an open question. In order to protect the oldest and most successful democracy in the world, you've got to sort, uh, sort that out. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, I, and I believe that uh, the voting apparatus has to be uh, legitimate and it has to work function. And we can't let politicians decide one way or the other, we have to let independent parties who have no vested interest in 
And with that, we'll take a uh, short break and we'll be back with more. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe Biden from the Blue Hawaiian. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Annan. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. Yo, speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed! It's a robocall! Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate, but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, File a complaint with my office online at mi.gov slash robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. No, I get it. You're busy. But you know Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor. 
Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to Tom Sumner Program. And welcome back, everybody. Armchair Politics continues now on the Tom Sumner Program with our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, joined by author Gerald Everett Jones. Um, I think I'll just uh, move on to um, President Joe Biden said yesterday the U.S. is providing Ukraine more advanced rocket systems and munitions as its war with Russia grinds on. Writing in a New York Times op-ed, Biden said the U.S. goal is to see a democratic, independent, sovereign, and prosperous Ukraine with the means to deter and defend itself against further aggression. He said the new shipment of arms would enable them to more precisely strike key targets on the battlefield in Ukraine. Have the Russians forgotten the lessons of Afghanistan? And has the world forgotten how long Russia was willing to stay to learn those lessons? Mm. <laughs> Good point. Yeah, I think we, especially in that second point, I think that's true. Yeah, Wasn't it 400,000 Russians lost, Russian military lost in Afghanistan? It's not, well, how long were they there? 10, 12, 13 years? I, I'm going to say a good decade plus. Sounds, sounds about yeah, no, they, they, point, they point to not only Afghanistan, and, but also Chernobyl as being the, the two factors that really brought down the Soviet Union. But, you know, then, of course, there's the theory that that... You know, my, my history teacher said, you can't have both guns and butter, but uh, the United States was able to have both guns and butter in terms of um, um, public uh, welfare, uh, robust economy, and strong defense, and, and the Soviet Union could not afford it. They put everything into defense. Yeah, in, in many ways, what you're seeing here is this This may reveal the uh, the surprising weakness of the Soviet military. I mean, everybody thought this would be over in a couple of weeks, and so, so that the, the Russians would overrun uh, uh, Ukraine in no time at all, and, and they're having, it, at best, a serious struggle. And the second thing it's done is also strengthen NATO in a way that almost nothing else could have. I mean, NATO was... You know, getting to be a little of an aging organization, and Donald Trump sort of took it apart in his own way during his time there. And all of a sudden now, NATO is much stronger and more vital than ever. So I well, we were very interested in, we, we were very interested uh, leading up to this in um, wanting, our, and, and Wall Street really wanted Ukraine to, you know, come into the EU because of, I think right. Goldman Sachs is even trying to float bonds uh, hmm. uh, in 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 Kiev, and uh, I, I you know if I put myself in 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 Putin's mindset, which is <laughs> obviously very difficult to do, but you've got he he had he has one of his two crucial submarine bases in Sebastopol, the other being in Vladivostok, and you know that that's at the tip of the Crimea, at the very least. He would have had to uh, do something to defend that from from falling into the hands of a of a unfriendly government. So I mean, you can you can you can understand the paranoia about NATO, and it's true. true. We pushed true. it to the edge, but um, uh, only history will determine whether we were right to push it to the edge. 
Yeah. Well, yeah. you know, I I think uh, Russia really admires the United States. They've always admired the United States for its ability to quickly mobilize and fight war on two fronts, two oceans at the same time, and win, and create the atomic bomb and all of that. And then to have uh, a middle class where we all share the wealth and stuff like that. I think that those were images that many countries admired the United States for. And it didn't have as much corruption in government and stuff. So, um, and there's the will of all people, like starting with Napoleon, Caesar, and um, Hitler. They all viewed world domination. But the United States never talked about world domination. And yet they played the role of it. You know, there's no way that folks around the world can't visualize that it is the United States that best fit that image. And I think that Russia is still, as uh, in other countries, just rising hope to uh, achieve world domination. Hey, what about the rumor Putin is dead? <laughs> well, I've heard the rumors about his health you know, periodically. You see no, no, I mean, supposedly it came out of Britain's MI6. Uh, that, Is that right? At the, very, at the very least, he had uh, leukemia yeah, uh, or some advanced cancer, and that his, his uh, lack of health was being um, obscured. And then uh, some reporter confronted Lavrov with it, and, and he said, of course, you know, this is ridiculous. You can see the videos of, you know, him uh, in, in conferences and whatever. But uh, you, you kind of wonder, I mean, you know, the Brits have always been uh, proud, proud of their yeah. espionage stratagems. You wonder whether they just simply floated a rumor to, uh, to dishearten Russian troops. Well, I, I, was I wouldn't gonna, put I, it past them. I was going to ask you, Gerald, what record I have to play backwards on my uh, phonograph <laughs> to, <laughs> to hear the whole story. <laughs> no, I mean, I, again, I, it, it was on some reputable news feeds, and I was surprised. I, I, I immediately flipped on the TV. I thought, well, maybe I'll, I'll see something uh, in real time. But uh, it, it, the, the news story did get buried. But like I said, it was attributed to MI6. It wasn't some, uh, wow. you know, uh, crazy uh, website. Uh, if it had been from one of the State Departments, you know, in Europe. Or There's the nothing US. left to the State Department, Tom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think Biden's been trying to build it back, but uh, good luck. <laughs> you, you know what's funny? As you said that, Gerald, I, I just realized that I can't think of who the Secretary of State is. Hmm. Um, um, Bunchen. I mean, our. Oh yes, yes, yes. Blinken. Our, our, our secretary, Anthony Blinken, and a career a career diplomat too. Thank right, oh, goodness, right. you know. Rex Tillerson is you know a former head of Exxon, the the guy who understands uh, checkbook diplomacy when it comes to struggling, you know, oil dictators. Um, he had the job about what three days? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And he couldn't stand it. I mean, it, was, it wasn't like he got fired. He's just like, <laughs> he just walked away. Like, he wasn't a different job. These idiots. He said, why did I get up in the morning to do this? 
Well, he got up in the morning to do that because uh, the, the pre previous administration really wanted the sanctions lifted so that Exxon could give its uh, sell its um, uh, fracking and oil exploration mm -hmm. technology to Siberia. Because basically Putin's bet, if you, and again, um, I, I would hype uh, Rachel Maddow's book, uh, Blowout, but um, she explained that uh, Putin did put all of his chips onto oil and gas. He deliberately didn't um, didn't spend the resources to build back up uh, Russia's uh, manufacturing, uh, aerospace, and all the, the, the stuff that, that they, they should have done, uh, at least from the standpoint of their public economy and welfare. But no, he, he decided he was going to corner oil and gas, and you know you could wonder what effect that's had on our politicians and our policy and, you know, all like that. But that's a separate discussion. Interesting idea. Yeah. And, and exactly, with all the cutoff of the sales of the oil and gas, that's got to be having an enormous impact on the Russian economy for the average average Russian these days. Well, an enormous Im impact on the Germans, too, because they depended on that natural gas. That that's that right. That's right. Into the Ukraine. And, and again, it was Maddow's book where she pointed out that <laughs> Ukraine can't even produce its own uh, natural gas because Putin had forbade it. And the prior administration, the puppet administration that he put in there, not only permitted the, the pipeline to go across, but also it, it required Ukraine to buy Russian natural gas and be taxed on it on mm. top of that. Mm. Mm, interesting. Yeah. Oh, and then, and then yeah. of course, you know, I, 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 you know, now, you know, now I wax uh, political, but I mean, you know, because of Citizens United, we don't really know how much Russian oligarchic dough is flowing into our political system, and uh, I have often wondered why. Um, you know, I, I, my dad was in the oil business, okay, and I and I think that people who are professionals in the oil business have recognized that yes. Fossil fuels need to be phased out and other forms of energy. I mean, you know, now British Petroleum is calling itself an energy company, and they uh -huh. bought all of Westinghouse Solar, which is why Westinghouse Solar isn't doing anything right now. But, you know, the, the difference of opinion in the oil industry is, well, you know, we'd like it to take 100 years, you know, and AOC wants it to take, you know, to be done tomorrow. Well, both of those... <laughs> Both of those points of view are impractical, okay? But but the the middle that will be struck will, will probably be decided by the marketplace. Uh, you know, when 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 a, a tank of gas gets to be thirty, well, no, wait, let's see, a tank of gas <laughs> here in California is now could be as much as a hundred bucks because you've got you've got. Um, I saw a gas station with $7.50 gas the other day. So wow. You get up to a point where um, people say, well, you know, I'll have to dust off that bicycle. Or take a look at a electric car or something else. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, and we've got we're, we're, urban planners actually that are that are that are saying uh, we're not going to need as many parking lots because we're going to have fleets of... Um, Robot uh, taxi cabs that, oh. are, that you know, you know because because you know uh, airplanes don't ever airplanes don't need parking lots <laughs> unless they're in maintenance. Okay, they're always flying, 
same of with robot cars. They're going to be in circulation all the time. So if it gets to the point where it's less expensive to pay per trip than to pay, you know, your car, your car uh, in, installments and your insurance and then fill the tank, uh, hey, you know, I, I think I'd rather be driven than drive, especially if it's safer. I mean, you've got to show me it's safer. I don't, I'm not sure that it is yet, but could be. No, Certainly the car isn't drunk. One of the one of the funniest things I saw about those um, autonomous uh, vehicles was some research a Japanese company was doing testing some versions of autonomous vehicles in Australia, and uh, they had a problem with some of the sensors um, that were mistaking the distances of kangaroos oh, yeah. because oh, yeah. they hopped, and it 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 changed the um, yeah they, they they just couldn't read the distance properly because of the hopping um anyway there's there's still a ways to go on those things but here's uh, here's something I was, say, I, was, I was wondering in michigan what can, can those sensors read potholes so can, they can avoid those <laughs> yeah. for the roads we have here <laughs> autonomous vehicles are going to get pulled over for drunk driving right um this this is a story that that hit me kind of funny, and I'm curious to see what your thoughts are about this. Supreme Court officials are escalating their search for the source of the leaked draft opinion that would overturn Roe v. Wade, taking steps to require law clerks to provide cell phone records and sign affidavits. Uh, three sources with knowledge of the efforts have told CNN. Some clerks are apparently so alarmed over the moves, particularly the sudden requests for private cell data, that they have begun exploring whether to hire outside counsel. The mm. court's moves are unprecedented and the most striking development to date in the investigation into who might have provided Politico with the draft opinion it published on May 2nd. The probe has intensified the already high tensions at the Supreme Court where the conservative majority is poised to roll back a half century of abortion rights and privacy protections. Chief Justice John Roberts met with law clerks as a group after the breach, CNN learned, but it is not known whether any systematic individual interviews have occurred. Is it troubling that the Supreme Court would play an investigative role instead of its usual deliberative? Very, action? very, very. Yeah, very strange mm -hmm. situation. Yeah, yeah, that might destroy the court in the long run. So, we have well, government-issued cell phone is a very special device these days. It didn't used to be back during the like the during the Hillary Clinton debacle. Uh, the guidelines were not all that clear in terms of um, uh, mixing personal use with uh, government use, but now a, a government cell phone really anybody who uses a government cell phone for for private use uh, is not only are they an idiot they're breaking the law i mean the government employees typically will have a separate cell phone for their yes. talk with their family and and whatever because mm -hmm. the, the the controls on those phones are extremely 
strict. I mean, you know, you, you experience double authentication on the web, uh, you know, as a private individual. Multiply that by about 10. That's how hard it is to abuse a government phone. Mm. So the idea that, the, and now it's making me a bit skeptical, the idea that this could just kind of accidentally be leaked um and nobody else but the leaker would know about it, uh, I'm wondering. Hmm. Well, a lot of people have suggested that it was a trial balloon. Yeah, I, I, I think so. And I think it was a trial balloon on the right simply because the language of the Alita was so, I mean, <laughs> you know, going, it wasn't the Magna Carta. Why was it going, going back to something that was just so ancient? Um, you know, we can't do abortion because it was never practiced in 1456. It's, it's just <laughs> lunatic, yeah. lunatic. Yeah. But see, if nobody objects, then, or there isn't a discussion around it, then maybe it makes it more thinkable that this stuff could be snuck through and then used for whatever other, because, you know, it does have, that's been the argument, that, that the, the applicability of the way he wrote the decision goes far beyond Roe. I mean, he could use it on same-sex marriage. He could use it on, yeah. on, 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 de on deprivation of really any right that did not exist in 1789. Let's see, right, right, 1789. Yeah. Hmm. No, the, the potential impact of that could be enormous. And I wonder what, if, 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 the, if there's going to be any kind of modification because of all the protests. Would the courts have, have second thoughts about what they've said in light of what's happened since that opinion came out? Well, it will certainly affect whatever dissenting opinion. Um, True. True. It, you know, well, I mean, Sotomayor is bound to... Uh, she she's not been shy <laughs> about oh, she really expressing has her it. mind before, and and that will be a very interest. That dissenting opinion would be a very interesting document. I think so. it, it appears to me that they'll have to have an amendment uh, because I don't think that you want to go back and and claim that uh, the original signing of the Constitution indicated that you could change that doctrine. Uh, without an amendment. But amendment, well, you need two-thirds of the state. They can't even get equal means equal through. Yeah, but Supreme. that's how it has to be. Uh, you know, the, the people who signed the Constitution, they, the, um, the people only signed one Constitution, and that was in 1789. Now, it's, uh, uh, we have states and and we have Congress and other ways to uh, create laws in this country that that substituted for the way that the Constitution was originally organized by all the people at a constitutional convention. Has the well, precedent precedent is certainly important, and that's that's actually what we've relied on. What the entire legal system yeah. in the United States has relied on is yes. the precedence has been set by cases that have tried questions of interpretation, yes. yeah. and that's the whole principle of stare decisis that that the Alito opinion is attempting to, it seems. Uh, say with no start, decisis uh, is only a consideration. It's not. Uh, uh, it's not binding. That that as time goes on, we can reverse anything we like to. We want to reverse. 
Has the Supreme Court... I've always argued that in one sense of the words, the Constitution's always been amended in many ways thousands of times. Every time a judge rules on what you mean by equal protection or due process or or probable cause or a thousand other phrases, in some minor way, a judge, even a local judge, is modifying what the the Constitution means. Has the Supreme Court... The controversy between the originalists and the the so-called... I don't know what what on the other side, the so-called progressives, but... Uh, any court has to interpret the law at whatever level, whether it's local or whether it's federal. And yeah. so, so but it, uh, it can to still say, be confronted by so a challenge. You have to, to abide by um, uh, the world's notions in, in 1789 is just simply, you know, nonsensical. Has the Supreme yeah. Court ever had its uh, security breached in this way? There have been leaks before. Uh, at least it was reported about the t- on the about the time that this leak came out. But they said it wasn't. It wasn't. Um, <laughs> it was never politicized as much. Yeah, I, I'm not aware of, enough of a similar example. Certainly in recent history. Well, I've forgotten what the example was that they gave. I believe it, it might have been during the civil rights era, six, in the 60s. Well, here's, I'm going to try and squeeze this one in on our way to the X-Files because it's practically an X-File itself. Wisconsin Republican Senator Ron Johnson offered up a controversial theory to explain the school shooting in Uvalde, Texas this week, uh, the one that left 19 children and two teachers dead. He said, we stopped teaching values in so many of our schools uh, said Johnson in an interview with Fox Business on Thursday. Now we're teaching wokeness. We're indoctrinating our children with things like CRT, telling some children they're not equal to others and they're uh, and they are the cause of other people's problems. Uh, to his credit, anchor Neil Cavuto pushed back, noting that these shootings, Senator, were going on long before. CRT and wokeness, right? <laughs> Johnson would not concede the point. Is Senator Johnson what passes for rational in Washington? Uh, unfortunately, it's all too often. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, I'm afraid, afraid that's the case. Uh, well, where are these assumptions about? I mean, I again, I would go back to Harry's Henry's experience with. With childhood education is, you know, our our teachers to be certified, you know, do have to go through um, the programs of uh, of child psychology of what is appropriate to um, what can a child absorb at a at, at at a certain level of age and development. You know, I mean, the the classic example being like uh, uh, psychologist Piaget said, well, you know, a toddler can't understand that when a ball rolls underneath the couch, it'll roll out the other side. Well, I, my dog can understand that, so I don't really, you know, okay, I, th- this does confuse me. But I don't know how we know with such act, how Ted Cruz knows that, um, that this particular um, um, uh, racial doctrine is being promulgated in 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 the public schools. I, 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 I'm not even sure. Number one, that they have time for it, but I think that it's also uh, uh, something about third rail that you know, where teachers know that uh, they really shouldn't be um, 
um, expressing, I mean, they're not evangelists, okay? I don't think there's any teacher that's trying to recruit a child into, you know, a particular sexual persuasion that I, I think that that would be that would be very quickly carried home. Uh, and I think that that would cause the principal to, if not discipline the teacher, uh, terminate hey. them. <laughs> All right, we'll break there, and we'll be back with the X-Files right after this. You're listening to the Tom Sumner Show right now. And now, and now too, and even now. It's 2022, and this year the Tom Sumner Program begins its 15th year. It would not be here without support through the years from individuals and organizations like these. Seth David Radwell. East Village Magazine. Flint Institute of Music. Hello, I'm Maestro Ricky DeMeg. Flint Community Schools. MTA Flint. Flint Comics and Entertainment. Hamity Complete Food Center. The Flint River Watershed Coalition. W.H. Weiscarver. The Genesee County Road Commission. Long Museum Auto Fair. Thomas Appliance. The Genesee Health Plan, Flipflip Technology, My Community College, it's Pure Michigan. Friends on Facebook have also helped by contributing to the show's online fundraisers two or three times a year. If you would like to help the Tom Sumner program continue to thrive by becoming a sponsor, send an email of interest to Tom at TomSumnerProgram.com. Add your name to the list of supporters, past, present, and future. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans, and soon they will be available to everyone. This vaccine means hope. It will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. I want to go back to work and I want to be able to move around. To visit with Michelle's mom, the hugger, and see her on her birthday. You know what I'm really looking forward to is going to opening day in Texas Ranger Stadium with a full stadium. We've lost enough people and we've suffered enough damage. In order to get rid of this pandemic, it's important for our fellow citizens to get vaccinated. I'm getting vaccinated because we want this pandemic to end as soon as possible. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. So roll up your sleeve and do your part. This is our shot. Now it's up to you. Do you ever feel like you need an attitude adjustment? Are you wishing there was a magic pill or a new app for your mobile device? Why don't you try live local music? Music can make you dance, bring back fond memories, inspire you to be more creative, whether you attend a child's school concert or recital, go to a local symphony concert, Visit local bars and restaurants that feature dance music, sing-along piano, or jazz and blues. Music could be just what you're looking for. Supporting live local music is more than a way to support your local artists and economy. It's a great way to improve your own quality of life. Support live local music. This message is brought to you from the Tom Dana. Dana? Something must be wrong. She never calls. Dana? What's wrong? Take this down. She's stranded on the side of the road. I'm not. She needs us to send her an Amazon gift card. I don't. And she'll use it to pay the tow truck driver. I won't. Mom, Dad, that's not me. It's a scam. 
Scam artists will call, text, or email people trying to get them to buy a gift card from Amazon or some other company, and then ask for the gift card number over the phone. Remember, gift cards are for gifting, not for paying people. If someone asks for payment using a gift card from Amazon, Target, or some other store, it's a scam. Hang up or delete the message. These scammers are awful. Wish they'd pretend to be her brother sometimes. Be nice to hear from him. For more tips on avoiding scams, visit michigan.gov AG for your connection to consumer protection. I get the uneasy feeling Rod Serling is behind one of those doors. Rod Serling. Rod Serling. What's this, the Twilight Zone? Where is everybody? I would have been headed for the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. If I go any lower, I'll be in the Twilight Zone. All right. Oh, but Jethro's right at home in the Twilight Zone. I'm in the Twilight Zone. Now, having made this little jaunt into the Twilight Zone, I got a feeling something strange is about to happen. In the Twilight Zone. Hi, this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. And welcome back to Armchair Politics and the segment uh, I like to call The X-Files, where we look at those weird and wacky stories that are strange but true. A man who seems to have been disguised as an old woman in a wheelchair threw a piece of cake at the Mona Lisa in Paris. Video posted on social media shows security guards at the Louvre uh, escorting the man away Sunday as he spoke in French about the planet. Think of the earth. There are people who are destroying the earth. Think about it. Artists tell you, think of the earth. That's why I did this, he says, according to the Associated Press. Another video showed someone cleaning the, the cake off the glass that uh, protects the Mona Lisa as onlookers held up their phones to film the incident's aftermath. The 36-year-old man was detained and sent to a psychiatric unit, according to the AP. How does Mona Lisa taking a pie in the face, or a cake in this case, make a case for saving the planet? <laughs> um, well, it's, it's kind of it's a, it's a value. To, the cake, yeah. Yeah, it's the value placed on Mona Lisa. It's, uh, it's something that can never be replaced or restored. And uh, so is the earth, uh, according to this person. He makes a, uh, a pitiful argument here and connecting the two, but there's that value that we have on Mona Lisa. Uh, I'm sure that we all share the same value. I don't think there's a thematic con- connection between attacking Mona Lisa and the, the fellow's cause. I think it just has to do with the the uh, what we were talking about before is uh, the the vehicle for the terrorist message, and you know, and, and evidently he was able. Usually, you have to stay back. Not only does Mona Lisa have glass in front of it, but you have to stay back a certain distance. Right. And because, evidently, because he was in the wheelchair and looked disabled, he was allowed to get closer, and so it was rather well-researched. So, I mean, this is a fellow that really wanted to get a message out, and I, eh, okay, mental illness, but um, I would say, you know, we're talking about um, uh, somebody who might otherwise be on a Greenpeace ship and, uh, you know, uh, uh, launching a weapon at a at, at a fishing boat or whatever. I mean, this is a, this is a political statement. This is a very... Yeah, and... 
he got a good he he got his five minutes of fame. I mean, he, for doing that, he got and the you know, French national are actually world, more, world coverage. The French are actually more tolerant, if you will, of um, you know, in in the United States, when there's a something that looks like a political protest, we tend to criminalize it, and um, and 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 then of course they get ex they also get exploited. I mean, we had you know the riots here in in uh, BLM. Uh, right here actually here in my town and and but you know very quickly there were there were black mercedes with with gang members busting into the nike shoe store making off with 200 dollars shoes and so it was the criminal element that was that was emphasized but the uh uh but actually it was the, you know the inciting incident was was political well, I think the French love a good pie in the face. <laughs> <laughs> and Pastor, we are on the same boat. Thank you. Well, it's, it's not every day you cross paths with a wandering robot in the woods. Matthew McCormick wasn't hallucinating when he came across a delivery robot in the woods of Northampton in the United Kingdom. I spotted the robot while cycling in Ling's Wood, he told NPR over email. We have them all over town for grocery deliveries, but I was surprised to see it so far from the shops, so I took a picture of it. Ordinarily, McCormick is a history professor at the University of Northampton in England. Since sharing that picture on Twitter, he has been enjoying some minor social media celebrity. He did take a bit of poetic license by tweeting, On my bike ride this morning, saw a delivery robot lost in the woods. <laughs> <laughs> Why is there no panic when a robot is seen traveling in the woods? <laughs> well, the original research behind self-driving cars actually was a, a, a U.S. Army uh, experiment uh, to try to develop a tank that would navigate its way across the woods. So my my question, which would be somewhat um, uh, sarcastic, would be, what was that robot really doing? Well, actually, the robot is smarter than that. The robot takes the shortest straight line distance to the destination, <laughs> and they don't care whether it's the water. And that's how things are made to use the shortest distance travel. I, I just it's, keep uh, thinking of uh, Red Fox's routine about the uh, first fully automated airplane and it's roaring down the, the runway and the automated uh, system kicks on and starts explaining to the passengers that this is the first fully automatic airplane and we'll be flying at such and such a speed and we'll be at such and such an altitude and we should make it to the, the destination in X number of hours and nothing can go wrong. Go wrong. Go wrong. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, here's one of my favorites in, in quite a while. A scientific analysis commissioned by the FBI shortly before agents went digging for buried treasure suggested that a huge quantity of gold could be below the surface, according to newly released government documents and photos that deepen the mystery of the 2018 excavation in remote western Pennsylvania. The report by a geophysicist 
who performed microgravity testing at the site, hinted at an underground object with a mass of up to nine tons and mm. a density consistent with gold. The FBI used the consultant's work to obtain a warrant to seize the gold if there was any to be found. The government has long claimed its dig was a bust, but a father-son pair of treasure hunters who spent years hunting for the fabled Civil War-era gold and who led agents to the woodland site hoping for a finder's fee suspect the FBI double-crossed them and made off with a cash that could be worth hundreds of millions of dollars. The newly revealed geophysical survey was part of a court-ordered release of government records on the FBI's treasure hunt at Dent's Run, about 135 miles northeast of Pittsburgh, where legend says an 1863 shipment of Union gold was either lost or stolen on its way to the U.S. Mint in Philadelphia. Does this sound like a great plot for the next Nicolas Cage national treasure? <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> I, I couldn't think of. I, I was reading the story, and, and that's all I could think of was <laughs> Nicolas Cage finding a, this gold. The Pennsylvania gold rush. Yeah, that could be great. That, that the gold that we have, all the gold on the earth, actually. We received in a meteor shower three billion years ago. Gold is not part of the chemistry of this planet. Well, what, so it could be a meteor. I mean, you know, if, what if what sounded gold. what made it sound, you know, a little bit worthy of further investigation was the idea that it it was actually a government shipment of gold going to the mint that went mm -hmm. missing you know that 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 seems like such a, a credible story that there could be gold in them our hills <laughs> <laughs> in pennsylvania hey anyway that wraps it up for today's edition of armchair politics the x-files and the tom sumner program and i want to thank uh economist chris uh, Douglas for joining me earlier this morning and of course um, I, I want to thank Gerald Everett Jones, uh, author of uh, Preacher Raises the, the Dead um, for joining us uh, Thank you. Thanks guys, really a privilege. It's great to have you here. Gerald, it's, yeah, it's, thanks, it's fun when you, when you join us. You added so much to the conversation. So much well, I get a, lot of a lot of good information, <laughs> as a matter of fact. You really brought forward a lot, a lot of great new ideas today. And I want to, of course, thank our roundtable regulars, uh, Paul Rosicki, thank you. Always great to be here. And Henry Hatter, thank you so much, my friend. Thank you. And that's Smoking George. That's Smoking George tickling the ivories. Let me know it's time to head on down the hall to the living room, but I'll be back tomorrow with another edition of the Tom Sumner Program. So, um, hope you'll join me. In the meantime, good night, everybody. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show. We want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions. 
most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the Flint area. Many of the pre-recorded portions of the Tom Sumner program are made possible by Flint's own Steve McComb and Pencil Sketch Recording in Nashville, Tennessee. If you have comments, questions or suggestions about the show, find us on Facebook. This is Prue Clearwater. Join us next time for another edition of the Tom Sumner Program. And thanks for listening.